What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidya Tagawal, and let's get started. And that really stopping that trajectory for me to go and play professional sport and, yeah, feeling the depths of, you know, I can talk about it quite cleanly now, but the depths of loneliness and, and um, you know, a real kind of depressive state to really question who was I, what did I want to do in the world, and um, I look back on that now as something that really gave me a get-out-of-jail-free card where I got to question how I was showing up in the world, what's important to me. And... That's Hunter Johnson, and this is episode 63. Wow, what an expansive, raw, and all-access conversation with Hunter. This one's truly special. We cover everything from Hunter's sunrise, rebelling in society, which included 27 detentions in high school, and six major surgeries that crushed his dream to play professional sport. But what I love the most, and hope you're inspired by, is the turnaround in Hunter's story after the injuries when he travelled, moved cities, and immersed himself working with the Indigenous and First Nations people. And then in 2018, Hunter founded the Man Cave, the national charity teaching emotional intelligence to thousands of young boys, and more recently, in 2019, he launched Stuff, the natural personal care brand for men, where sales fund boys from low socioeconomic communities to attend the Man Cave programs. Some of the themes you in this conversation you're about to hear include Hunter's experiences working closely with Prince Harry and many other global partners, the concept of failing fast, the importance of not trading authenticity for attachment, go inside Man Cave the business and what a career for you and social impact can look like and the pathway to getting there. So please do enjoy and thank you for supporting this show. I'm always grateful for your rating and review on your podcast app or share your feedback directly with us via Instagram or LinkedIn at the High Flyers Podcast or via email. Hunter Johnson, welcome to the show. Oh, I am pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, for listeners, I heard you speak to the Nestle team back in the last year, and I remember thinking to myself, I need to find a way to have Hunter on the show. So I'm really glad you agreed and, and really excited to unpack your journey in life and work. Let's start with some quick fun facts to give the listeners some perspective. So where were you born and where do you live now? So I was born in Sydney at the uh, Paddington Women's Hospital, which is no longer there, I hear. Um, uh, and I've previously lived in Melbourne for the last eight years, but have just moved back to Sydney um, during uh, the last few years of the pandemic. So it's it's nice to be home, returning as somewhat slightly more mature of an adult, hopefully. <laughs> that hospital seems to have a common trend. I had Ed Cowan, the former cricket player on the show, and he was born there as well. So there's a clear sign here that high flyers are born at that hospital, perhaps. <laughs> so there's hope for me to play professional cricket for Australia is what I'm hearing here. I think you're doing pretty well for yourself already, so you could you could do more if you like. <laughs> 
And what was your first job and what do you do now? Yeah, so my first job was I was a coach of sports. So it would have been cricket, funnily enough, cricket and um, rugby was the my first job. And then I got a job in a bar and then I started working at the National Centre of Indigenous Excellence in Redfern in Sydney. Um, that was that was hugely opening going from a bar bar scene pulling beers late into the night to then you know working at an incredible center uh, the ncie in redfern so um that kind of set the foundation for me and right now i have run two businesses one is a national charity which is called the man cave and we effectively teach emotional intelligence to thousands of teenage boys and the other is uh just turned one actually uh it's called stuff so it's a, a personal care brand for men called stuff stuff your pits for your face for your body um and it's a, a natural men's personal care brand where sales fund uh boys from low socioeconomic communities to go through the man caves programs and uh we also just found out stuff is now a b corp too which is mm. really exciting so that means we hit the uh, highest social and environmental um accountabilities responsibilities and transparencies in our business so that's what i do i straddle those two worlds very exciting, and we'll definitely get into both those stories. Now, this, the purpose of this show is to reimagine a high flyer. I wonder if there's a high flyer in your life that you feel hasn't got the recognition they deserve. Oh, I love that. Well, I think we're at such an exciting time where we have the internet to try and celebrate and champion people whose stories traditionally would not have got the recognition and support that they needed to or should have. Um, I think it's an incredibly exciting time for our First Nations people coming through Australia uh, right now. Um, I'm always in awe of Millie Telford, who runs Seed Mob, which is a, a youth climate activism uh, organisation. Um, yeah, absolutely in, in awe of um, her work and the, the whole team there. Um, but I, I was thinking about this recently. I, I think, you know, my, my partner's... Um, uh, grandma is 94 and is in mm. you know one of the old homes in, in Newcastle and we were saying the other day just the people that work there the nurses the real grassroots people that kind of hold the fabric of our services on the community level together I think are absolute champions so yeah I think I'd like to give a shout out to the the nurses who work in um um, people who are a little bit old as homes. I was going to say old people homes. I don't know if that's PC these days, but anyway, those people. This is podcasting. We can say anything. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently not these days. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's that's amazing, and that probably sets a scene for your sunrise hunter and your childhood and your early upbringing. So, if we zoom out, tell us about that. Tell us about your memories. You mentioned growing up in Sydney. What was the influence of your family and your environment? Oh, family massively shaped my character. I um, tried to rebel against my family values for as long as possible, but they bloody caught up. Um, you know, my, my dad uh, was always one to encourage me to follow my own path. Um, I probably did that to, for, yeah, as I mentioned, more rebellious purposes, mostly through my teenage years. Um, and my mum's side of the family are very entrepreneurial. Um, my mum and my dad split when I was about two years old, so I always kind of felt like I had two different worlds. Um, but And that, that was confusing for, for me as a kid, just navigating divorced parents. Um, and also as a young man, not necessarily having the understanding or the knowledge of how to communicate that. 
Um, and often, you know, I would I'd probably play up and be a bit cheeky or annoying um, when I was really just going through my own emotional challenges and the confusion. Um, also, my my grandfather played a really big role in, in shaping my my character as well. He was a man who, you know, was an entrepreneur, had an order of Australia um, for his service to the community and was very active um, in more of like a non-traditional philanthropic way. He's the type of guy that would you know, meet someone who, you know, and open up a conversation with them and find out that they're at university and couldn't afford their next, you know, uh, semester. And he would send an anonymous check to that person, you know, and and it wasn't like he had abundance of wealth, but he was, you know, very much a man of community service. So um, those influences really, really shaped me, Um, but also kind of going on my own little hero's journey of um, wanting to play a professional sport, having a really serious injury on the field, and that really stopping that trajectory for me to go and play professional sport and yeah feeling the depths of you know i can talk about it quite cleanly now but the depths of loneliness and and um you know a real kind of depressive state to really question who was i what did i want to do in the world and um i look back on that now as something that really gave me a get out of jail free card where i got to question how i was showing up in the world what's important to me and what's the change i want to create and um, that really shaped my character through my, my younger years. I'm always curious, did you have any heroes growing up? Did you have any posters on the wall of people you you wanted to be like? Yeah, I um, I was obsessed with sport as a kid. I was just mm. your, your classic jock is probably the best way to say yeah. it. Um, or there was always, I was, I was big hearted and you know, sensitive, but just loved sport. And um, I was obsessed. I actually, as <laughs> like a kid, I wanted to play soccer for the Brazilian soccer team. That was my goal. Yeah. <laughs> Little did I, like I know it. that there was a few, you know, hoops to jump through there. Um, but, yeah, I, I loved rugby as well and um, grew up with cricket. So, you know, that era of rugby was, you know, Matt Burke, I think, was on, you know, my hero and George Gregan, Stephen Larkham. And, and then, you know, the golden era of Australian cricket too, growing up mm. just being very spoiled for choice with everything from Ponting and Hayden and, and Langer and, you know, Gilchrist and McGrath and, you know, the character that is Shane Warne. Um, yeah, they were, they were big, big for me. Now, I want to read out something I came across when I Googled your name and it's, I think, a bio on your website. So it goes, Hunter, would you just stop talking in class? These were familiar words for a cheeky teenage hunter who once received 27 de- detentions in year nine. Despite his non-conformist nature, Hunter grew up in a family that always encouraged him to be useful and get up to something that matters. You're clearly living up to those words, but tell me about the 27 detentions in year nine. The, I think that's really encouraging for listeners to hear that, that you came from that and now you're having an uh, impact in the world. So there's there's opportunity for us as well. Yeah, there's, there's hope. Um, if he can come from that far back that way. Over. Um, yeah, listen, I was... You know, it's in different ways I can think about it now with a bit of hindsight. You know, I was a kid who was navigating some challenges at home and um, the way that I did that was acting out at school. And really it was just to kind of grab attention and thrill-seek as a teenage boy and push some boundaries. Um, uh, But also I did a lot of things in my teenage years that were probably against my values in order to just get accepted by the group of my mates. And we were very... Uh, alpha group, our kind of age group of sport won every game from, you know, we were 10 years old to 18 years old. So there was an incredible 
like brotherhood and camaraderie there, but also um, it was intense. And, um, you know, I look back on it now going, oh, I wish I could have just sat down with my best mate and just told him how I was actually feeling. Or I wish, you know, I could have had a non-authoritative role model in my life sit me down and say, hey, mate, you're acting like a little bit of a dickhead right now. I know that's not who you are, but, you know, what's going on here? Let's see if we can kind of support you. And, you know, that's, that's um, yeah, a really big, uh, I guess, one of the many reasons why Man Cave, I think, is really effective because it does create that opportunity for young men to just slow down, question what they're doing, how they're showing up and really seeing their gifts and their strengths. And, um, yeah, for me, it, it, it wasn't as like things clicked overnight. I, um, you know, in terms of rugby injuries, I had a broken leg that ended up being six operations, a metal rod, four screws, two skin grafts, two blood transfusions. Wow. I did my ankle, so um, two operations there. I've done my ACL twice. I've done both shoulder reconstructions. And I hit about 21, and I was like, it's probably time to give it up, I reckon. Um, and so they, you know, were, were moments of growth where I had to move through, you know, some pretty dark places and, and really find out who I was. And... Um, very fortunate, a, a great lesson that my grandfather really instilled in me was to invest in experiences. So to go and do things and find opportunities that are traditionally quite off-brand for what I would think I would, you know, normal person hunter would do and really find and, and find myself in different communities. And, you know, I was able to do that when literally my body would no longer work, try to play sport. Um, and I, I just invested that energy in, in something a little more meaningful. I'm glad you mentioned the rugby story and, and sort of being at a, you could call it a crisis point, 2021, because one of the questions I've asked a number of guests on the show is, what was success to them when they were 16? And, and it sounds like your answer at that point was sport. In reflection, how did you figure out how to get out of that hole when you were 21 and you, this dream was sort of crushed, to put it put a better word? How did you figure that out? Because I think there'd be a lot of listeners maybe at that stage and I think like you mentioned there's that manliness I went through it as well I wanted to be a tennis player growing up but never quite had the dedication and focus and and mentally it was challenging if you think back to 21 year old hunter what was success and how did you come out of that challenging period yeah I think there's an illusion um or, or what society rewards around success being how much status you have, you know, and and I think that can come in different ways. It could be it can be job titles, it could be followers, it can be, you know, how much influence you have over a group dynamic. And I think for me, growing up, success was to be the the most alpha guy because I also recognised that was where. Um, at the time with the psychology I had or my own psychological development, it was like that was the safest place to be was on top of the pack. And, um, you know, I think also underneath that, I knew it was quite performative and I knew that like having the best banter, going out, living for the stories of the weekend, using that as currency amongst my mates to share stories. Whilst there was a lot of fun in that, it also got to a point where I was like, whoa, I can see this train and which direction it's heading and i know guys who are still living this path and i also know there's some guys are the the blokes who pull you aside when you know your cup of beer is deep at the pub and unload you know pretty honestly and vulnerably um, around how life is really going and what they really want to do and what they're really struggling with and i was like well surely we don't have to wait until crisis point to start to open up our own genuine journeys around what our values are what's important to us who we want to be who we want to surround ourselves with 
And um, for me, it was it was moving out of Sydney. Um, so after I kind of did my final knee ACL injury, I travelled for three months. I uh, then moved down to Melbourne and was in an environment of um, incredible uh, entrepreneurs who were just changing the world. And it really kind of cracked my world open. And um, uh, within, I was working at a, a not-for-profit down there called the Foundation for Young Australians. I was interning, um, working at a bar a couple of nights a week as well. And um, I was just threw myself into it full throttle. And I was surrounded by young, you know, First Nations people who were running Indigenous leadership programs in the Northern Territory. I was supporting um, employability skills programs for newly arrived refugees and asylum seekers. I was helping run incubator programs for social entrepreneurs and I was connected to um, a global summit called Nexus, which basically uses the power of investing uh, philanthropy and connecting them with entrepreneurs um, who have a social purpose to fast track social change. And that was an initiative out of the UN. And so suddenly my world was just cracked open and you know, I used that level of drive and ambition I had in sport to try and you know, hopefully make the world a little bit more of a happier and healthier place. You know, this reminds me of the conversation you had with Dylan Buckley on his podcast, Dylan Friends, and I remember listening to that and going, I very much resonate with that. I was that kid growing up where you'd make certain comments about certain topics or people and, and looking back, you'd sort of go, who was I? And and, and it's evident you're, you've evolved through that and you're doing a lot of really cool work. The question I was curious when I heard you say that on Dylan's podcast was, I'm sure you'd have friends or mates from back then who probably still have a bit of that in conversation or with a few drinks. How do you connect to that? Like has your friendship group now evolved or do you still have mates from back in high school but you're so different and you're so aware of these things now that you can't relate to them in the same way? Because that would be a really interesting paradigm, I think. Yeah, it's such a great question. It's um, And I think a, a real... Um, journey that a lot of men go on to is, you know, who is the community that you've inherited just by nature of you, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school. And then as you grow up and have new experiences, see the world, open your perspective up, you start to curate your community. Who do I want to spend my time with? What lights me up? What are my values? You know, what inspires me? But also, you know, there is this thing in masculine culture where we, we like to stay, you know, connected and not think we're better than anyone else. And um, and also the group will let you know if you're acting like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I found that like a pretty tricky um, path because I have so much love for the guys who I grew up with and I have a deep respect for them. And also, you know, um, the life trajectory that I'm on now is like really expansive and it's open and it's you know meeting people all across the world and um yeah i've kind of been on a bit of a journey where some things i've really messed up in that i've you know overcorrected some things or i've like thought i was better or or um you know i didn't show up to a certain thing because it didn't represent what i who i thought i was and i've had to learn some of those lessons the hard way And, and now i'm really at a point where i just understand that i can connect with different types of guys or anyone anyone on different levels and nothing is more significant or better than anything else and you know i have some of the best memories of my entire life with with some of you know very different friendship groups but um you know and i think it's who you grow with right i think like the relationships are who you intentionally grow with that um they stay the strongest as well 
Another part I wanted to ask you is because you work very closely with schools and we'll get to your work with Man Cave and you've got a real inside knowledge of the workings of schools, good, bad, indifferent. If, if I had to ask you how you would design a school today, would there be two or three non-negotiables that you'd want to have in a school? Oh, absolutely. This is something which where I've got a community of people who work in, who are all effectively pioneers of the education system in different ways and we're talking about mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah, first of all, it would be about character development uh, more so than the, you know, the, the, the end mark. I think the, we need to teach young people values, systems, um, morals and ethics in a way that is actually accessible to them, um, that is inspiring, that you know, they're connected to. Um, I think we also need to pay our teachers a lot more and invest in the development of our teachers in an exponential way. They are the ones educating the future of our planet and our species. Uh, And the next is I would bring parents more into the school system. Um, I think parents, you know, work so hard and there's so many demands on them, but young people spend, um, will learn from what they see and what they feel opposed to what they're told. And so for me, I would absolutely find more ways to build parents into the school system in a way that actually meets parents where they're at, not something that takes energy from them, but builds the, them more into it. And yeah, I think we, we now are moving into an incredibly complex and volatile world where, you know, the systems that we've designed our civic society around us are now starting to, to be questioned, to be broken, to be challenged. And um, we owe it to the next generation to co-design this with them. Uh, because they're going to be the ones running the world. And we only need to look at the trajectory we're on in, um, in many different areas to go, shit, we need to update here. And education system is one that absolutely needs to move past this industrial revolution model that's very much around the design of how a factory is operated on. The school bell goes, you move from one class to the other and you, you pop out as a finished product, which we know is just not true. I'd love to send my kids to the Man Cave School if you can get that up and running in Sydney and Melbourne. I think I'll send my kids there. <laughs> so excited about that. Now, let's go into Magic Moments, Hunter, because this is probably the part listeners enjoy the most because we really unpack some of your painful learnings and some of your experiences and some of the people you've met along your awesome journey. Is there a painful learning that stands out for you in, in work or life that you felt was the hardest in the moment but you've learned the most from in hindsight? Oh, good question. So many, um, so many. And I think, yeah, I think probably the one that pops to mind actually is in year 12 when I um, was going for a position at our, to be like chair, like school chairman of school council or some, something nature like that. And um, I was already house captain, but I was going for this position and I'd kind of just gone on this shift of being like the cheeky, sporty kid to going, shit, I actually want to wake up and do something here. I want to be a leader. People keep telling me I've got the potential, but I'm just not activating it. Let me go for it. And um, I remember there was a kid in our year who got, you know, he he kind of gave it out. He dished it out, but he also received it a lot um, in terms Mm. of um, how much banter got flung his way. And I remember I got up in front of everyone and, was talking about how I want this role and and I, I spoke specifically about, um, you know, this, this guy who, you know, was a very interesting character. But, yeah, I basically gave him a hard time in front of the year and I just remember finishing that and just going, what was that? Why did I feel the need to embarrass him, although it was under the guise of banter, but why, why did I feel the need that I needed to embarrass him in front of our year group in order to celebrate my own 
leadership potential. And, and it really stuck with me as something that was so far against my values, but I was, I just panicked and I didn't know what to do. And I, um, when I finished school, actually, I was traveling a bit and I had a moment where it just clicked in and I was like, I need to apologize to this guy. And, um, and I did, I, I just found him on social media and, you know, he wrote back to me saying, thanks. I'm actually not sure if this is a joke or not, but yeah, thank you. And I was like, Hey, I completely understand why you think that. And, um, I just want to say, yeah, I am genuinely really sorry, mate. And I just respect your challenging journey through high school. And I'm sorry if I made that difficult for you at any time. And for me, yeah, that was a really good example of like, what type of leader do I want to be? Definitely not that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I learned a lot. Yeah, and I also, another good one for me was um, I had to do a keynote talk to a school and um, I remember the week before I just did one and it just went really well. I felt in my flow, kids loved it, it was awesome, it was two year 12s and I turned up to another school the next week to do it and I was a little bit rushed, I was finishing the PowerPoint in my in my car and um, anyway, I rocked up and halfway through the, the talk, I could tell the kids were just not engaged and I had this moment going, what do I do? Like, do I just keep going here? Do I just finish this off? And it might just be a rowdy year group. And I was like, no, nah, I can't. And so I just stopped the presentation and this to about 150 year 12s. And I said, hey, I actually just want to apologize because I haven't prepared for this as much as what I would like to. And I can see the impact is that you guys actually don't really care at all. And I just want to say, like, we don't have to go through the rest of the presentation. Let me just sit down on the stage I'm just going to have a conversation with you around what's going on in your lives and how I can potentially help you. And that level of like, I guess, authenticity just changed the room. And we just had the most incredible conversation. And they opened up to me afterwards saying, by the way, it wasn't you. We just got a lot of shit going on in our year right now. But for me, that was a good moment in like, when in doubt, be authentic. And that's what connects people the most. So that was... um, I definitely feel like I was dying on stage and I didn't know what to do. And uh, that really opened up, a, you know, a huge learning for me when, when I did that. I'm really glad you share that because that's been a profound learning for me as well. Probably the last three, four years of that, that rawness and openness in the right way is the best connector. Like being perfect is almost not a connector because people go, I can't relate to that guy. He's too perfect and too polished. So I'm glad you share that. And that actually leads me to my next question where I heard you mention on one of the interviews, you said, we trade authenticity for attachment. And you talked about belonging and you've sort of touched on it earlier. The part that I'm curious to ask you there is you now through your role and over the last few years, you'd meet people all the time. And I've done 63 episodes now and I've met a lot of people and understanding people's character and making judgments and and often making the wrong judgment is I think one of the beauties of growing through life. Are there any learnings you've had there about how you build connections with people early on, whether it's school kids or in a professional sense or some of your charity work? Because there'd be listeners, whether they're young or our age, who'd go, I want to build connection, but I don't know how to do it. And often it's very transactional in today's world. What to you is meaningful connection and how can a listener build a connection with someone they don't know? Oh, I love this question. It's not talked about enough, I don't think. And, and it's a tricky one too because like you don't, in my experience, you don't want to create a process around connection because it kind of feels at odds. It feels manufactured. But, you know, I, I got a piece of advice very early days which resonates with me, which is it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who wakes up thinking about you. 
So how do you remain front of mind for a core group of people so that at any point in your life, you, if you need to make a request or an ask or you need some support, then you have these people in your life that you can go to. And um, for me, you know, we've already kind of touched on it, but there's a real difference between this like performative authenticity, which is saying the right thing um, for the sake of it. People can feel that. We have built-in bullshit detectors that is part of our survival trait and, you know, coming back to um, what you shared earlier around that line around how we trade authenticity for attachment, which is actually a quote by a famous, famous trauma surgeon, or trauma surgeon, a trauma uh, psychologist called Dr. Gabor Mate. And effectively, he talks about throughout early childhood years, kids are free, right? They're rolling around they're walking up to different people at the park and hanging out with them. And um, then as an adult, that kind of gets conditioned out of us. And so the, the idea is that when we're children, we are authentic and then the world starts to come and impact us. We might, you know, put our hand up in class thinking we've got the answer to the question. We say the wrong thing. The class laughs at us. We learn, oh, shit, I can't do that anymore. Or we might get our heart broken or we might express ourselves quite vulnerably and someone shuts it down. We learn, I don't do that. And the whole idea is how to, what is it we need to do to perform and connect as a group so that we get that belonging. And often, uh, my experience is, as kids, we trade our authenticity in order to pick up behaviours that get us to feel attached and belonging to a group. And I think the exciting thing is how do you then have that awareness as an adult and then do something about it? So, great, how do I go and reclaim my authenticity, how I really think and feel? And, you know, my experience is exactly that. People don't remember how you made them think. They made you how you make, make them feel. And a lot of that comes back to being respectful of their time, of their story, of the opportunity that's in front of you, uh, and also just your own personal levels of integrity. Do you do what you said you're going to do? Are you grateful? Do you let them know through thank you notes after you catch up with them around the impact they've had on you? Um, all the way to, you know, I, I have a practice where I sometimes just literally close my eyes, slow my system down, hold my gut, and just say, you know, who do I need to reach out to today? And my gut will just give me some answer and, and I'll reach out to that person because I know that they've made an impact in my life and I'll just flip them a text. And for me, that's built a really beautiful web of, of community um, and a real range of community too. People who are some of the biggest investors in the country, the biggest philanthropists in the country, all the way to some of the, the rowdiest teenage boys in the country as well. <laughs> I wonder if you can take us back to the early days of Man Cave. And, and the reason I asked this is because I'm building Curiosity Center at the moment as a step two to the podcast. And I've been talking to a lot of the schools and universities. And I've realized it is very hard to build a credible trust first relationship because mm. schools, if you get an external provider, they often wonder, they're like, is this sure? Should we connect our students with this random guy externally? Could you share your first partnership as Man Cave with your first school and, and, and how that happened? Yeah, for sure. It's so hard, right, because everyone's trying to get in the education system and, you know, teachers are so overworked and underpaid and, mm. um, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's just a really challenging dynamic. And, and so for us, the, the first opportunity came from working in a school in, in Frankston just out of Melbourne um, and... Yeah, what I learned was we just needed a foot in the door with one school to do a really good job. We worked really closely with their teachers so that the teachers felt empowered. 
you know, there's nothing worse, I think, than some external provider coming in as with the answers, you know, the knight on the shining horse, like coming in going, we'll save you. Um, we really respect what, you know, the education system has provided and, you know, the support the teachers give the students. We want to be an addition. We want to be something that gives them energy back and we'll support them in their relationships with their parents, with their relationship with the principal. Uh, and then most of all, like the impact on the boys had to do the the most talking and and part of that is, is telling really powerful and powerful stories as well so you know the, we again like we have a, a saying inside of our business that you just got to capture the magic because the stories are what move the hearts and minds of you know the whole movement for what we're trying to create and that that's really the the starting point we just had one um one foot in the door build a beautiful relationship and then ask for a warm introduction into another school and then we kind of built it slowly from there. One of the other purposes of this podcast is showcasing career paths for for students or professionals. And, and I know your space is particularly fascinating for young people because you can really have an impact. And you shared some of those stories earlier where you can really see tears and you can see the change mm. in someone's behavior. But, but there might be listeners intimidated by that going, I don't have that ability. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert in building connection. How can people have a career in your industry or if they want to work for Man Cave, what do you suggest they do now? Yeah, I think you just need to find a foot in the door and get creative in how you do that. You know, when I moved down to Melbourne, I was three, three years through my business and psych degree, which I just found so boring. Like I literally turn up to my lectures and this guy would be running through 180 slide stats lecture yeah. and it was just like wow this is our education system and and i'd learned the lesson of investing experiences because they open up great portal moments in my life and i just went stuff i don't have this experience in melbourne i worked at a not-for-profit nine to five five days a week unpaid um, because i was happy to roll my sleeves up and actually just get the job done and i learned so much i was the guy that took notes in meetings that got coffees that offered to go above and beyond, worked late at night. And I worked at bars during the night to fund my experience at that not-for-profit. And at the end of it, they rewarded me after six months of um, doing the, the jobs I was doing. And it, yeah, I just wouldn't trade that experience for the world. I think in the tw in, particularly in your 20s, like have as many experiences as you can. Um, follow the leaders that inspire you. Don't be afraid of work that, you know, you find challenging or, or you don't feel necessarily give energy, get energy from, because for me, it's just more tools in the toolkit that you can use at your disposal. And um, so I think, and persistence is so important, but that has to come with a level of humility, not like be the arrogant kind of like guy who's trying to knock down the door and whatever, man cave employs, you know, more largely more women in the office than they do men. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that's a thing for me is, is, also doing your own personal work and what I mean by that is um, I often joke if, if I have or if and when I have kids that, you know, if they turn 18 and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have made a little bit of money in my life, I'd love to just give them, you know, 10 to 20 grand and mm. just to go, hey, go invest in yourself, whatever that means because it's likely as a parent I've messed up some things along the way. I've either said something to you that you've remembered it's caused a little bit of pain or I haven't said something to you or I wasn't there at a key moment Here's, you know, 10K, go and invest in yourself, go and heal those little traumas that may have happened to you and let's continue this journey. Um, 
So I think that that's something which I would really encourage people to do is find whether it's programs, mentors, you know, YouTube to, to really find that path for yourself. And um, in terms of man cave, yeah, it's just, you don't expect, you're not expected to have all the answers, but you are expected to have a really strong sense of what your values are, what your own character development is. And then, you know, find a find a foot in the door and and, and be useful as you know I sh- you shared at the beginning is get up to something that matters and and be useful about it. Mm. On the same vein, one thing I'm a big advocate for is failing fast and mm. failing when you're young. I think back to when I was in year twelve, I graduated with a, I think I got forty seven was my enter score, and in that moment mm. that was a failure in terms of societal yeah. failure. But in hindsight, that was the best thing that could ever happen because I could only go up but it made me reflect on myself and really kind of maybe similar to your rugby story where you're at the bottom and you are rebuilding and recreating. Whereas if you get a 99% ATAR and get into medicine and then have failure when you're 35, it can be really hard to digest that at that age. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as a parent particularly, that is something I will look to do with my kids is give them as many opportunities to fail fast. And, you know, the big catch that I've learned on my journey there is, you know, for a long time, I attached my own identity to my performance. Mm. And so if I did something and didn't get the result, I was like, oh, no, I'm the failure. And I really, it really opened up a lot for me when I was like, oh, no, I just took an action towards an outcome that I wanted and I didn't get the outcome. So I'm just going to relook at my plan and take another action. And then for me, once that started to get in, in flow, I started to go, oh, I can play with this even more. I can take even bigger actions and really have that moonshot and then see where I land and go again. And then the art of leveraging opportunities comes in there, which is probably, you know, the next part of it. But, you know, I think exactly how do you use those moments to sh- that, that really challenge you to your core to use that as, as learning moments and, and teachable moments. And that comes through having a crack. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's the Carl Jung quote, beware of unearned wisdom. And, mm. you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, but wisdom comes through experience. And that's been my journey for sure. Now, here's a question on that, on that part, actually. Is there a piece of advice you often give but find hard to follow yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yes, slow down. <laughs> yeah, one of the best pieces of advice, holy moly, in a world that is moving faster and faster, slow down is an, something which I say and I <laughs> should embody it more, absolutely, I think. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I'm slow down. I think I'm very similar. <laughs> it's very easy to say it and have this perfect balance, but you kind of can't. Okay, cool. Now, the other part I'm really curious is you meet some fascinating people through your work and, and I know you've met Harry and Megan from the – Royal family, I mean, they're sort of disconnected from that now, but they essentially they represent the royal family. Was there something that surprised you about that interaction? And again, I don't know how, how long you spoke to them or what level of relationship you've built with them, but I think as society, we often have a perception about people like that and you saw them in a different light. Was there anything about that interaction that surprised you? So much. Yeah, we've, I've now had uh, three meetings with them, um, which is, yeah, quite extraordinary. One was at Buckingham Palace, which is just an insane experience. The other was at Government House in Victoria. And the third was actually a, an hour-long Zoom call uh, over COVID. And, yeah, I, it's, you know, they're, they're, for whatever reason, a very divisive um, couple for some people. Um, they represent this, uh, this kind of 
almost celebrity royalty influencer. They cross, you know, these kind of big boundaries there. For me, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. And when I met particularly Harry, I was so impressed by the gravity that his presence held. And the more I thought about it, the more I got to think like he, he's someone who lost his mum when he was a child and then had to go through his own healing journey in the public eye went through his own mental health challenges, then had his wild teenage years, which most of us had. I know I certainly did. He then um, joins the uh, army. He goes and serves on the front line over in Afghanistan. He uh, is the chair of the Commonwealth Youth Foundation. So he's meeting some of the most marginalized communities in the world firsthand. He sets up Invictus Games for returned veterans who have a disability. So again, and then he chooses his own family values as uh, with him in his relationship over a system mm. that is a particularly traditional system um, to put himself first. And I'm like, that's pretty rare role modeling and leadership, you know. And, you know, there's you can open up. Many people have opinions around how they've chosen to do whatever they've done. But I'm like, listen, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not living his life. I don't get to see behind the veil. And... You know, my experience was with him. He was incredibly kind, incredibly thoughtful. I could feel his presence. And he, he, you know, made me feel super important, which is a real, you know, real skill because, you know, think how many people that guy is meeting for the first time. And, you know, I know I particularly have off days, um, but I can only imagine, you know, Prince Harry has an off day and, you know, becomes the, the next media headline. And so, yeah, yeah I think these, these, these people are people and... I think that's the, the thing that sometimes gets forgotten when they're easy to talk about or write stories about. The other side to that is you've clearly built a brand that is attractive to a Prince Harry to want to associate his brand with. There might be listeners who are doing work in a similar space or have aspirations of that. Is there anything about Man Cave or how you've built it that you think's made the brand attractive to a Prince Harry to want to partner with you? Yeah, there was a... Uh, a moment where they flew a film crew over to our programs and we filmed it. And then I didn't realize this, but in Buckingham Palace, they then showed the uh, the video um, when we were, mm. I was there. And <laughs> I've said it before, but the Australian accent has never sounded more bogan than in that moment <laughs> of uh, in, in Buckingham Palace listening to this video about the impact of the man cake. Um, yeah, but I think that, you know, the other side of that was it was memorable. And, you know, they, particularly in our line of work, it, you know, the, what Man Cave is doing is it's really at the front line of preventative mental illness, but also preventative domestic violence. And so our whole belief is that we need to go to the root cause of this and not just throw money at the symptoms because of whatever political leader is in power and, you know, they want to build a, another whatever just to make it look like they're doing something. Um, for me, it, it comes down to the culture of Man Cave and who we um, train to run our programs. Now, our facilitators, about 40 of them now, um, we train them like a professional sports team, except they're, they're understanding the human condition. They're doing everything from acting classes to storytelling and mythology to the future of education to the teenage brain and psychology um, to finding their own personal edges, um, as well as you know, inclusive facilitation training around culturally and ling linguistically diverse communities. So we really kind of invest in them um, to be effectively the product that goes out into high schools. And we have a, a culture code at Man Cave that I think is the magic secret sauce that 
everyone lives and breathes by. And we've got um, three core values. That's challenge, choice, and care. And so effectively thinking of it like the yin-yang symbol, so challenge uh, and care on either, either side, and then the line down the middle is choice. And then underneath those values are eight core behaviours that we um, live into that underpin those values. And those behaviours um, can be everything from um, take the shot. So, you know, did you take the shot today? How was it? Did you back yourself in to do your work? Hey, are you prepared for this? Have you done your own personal work so you can take this on? Um, to be here now, are you present? Are you doing, you know, taking this moment for the magic it is? Um, but also those those um, behaviours can be used to, to lovingly challenge people too, to call them up into living into the culture that we exist in. And we've designed those so that they are as appropriate in people's personal lives as they are in their professional lives because most people spend most of their working life, sorry, most of their life at work. And we want this to make this place as warm and inclusive and um, growth-orientated as possible and, and people seem to, to love that. So for me, it comes down to like the integrity of the product it has to be really um really there powerful stories open up doors and and portals and integrity you know there has to be an integrity the whole way down from you know the top of the leadership structure all the way to the newest recruit who's in the team and i think we also live in a very interesting time now where a lot of business structures are getting flatter and flatter and and becoming decentralized and that's something which we're trying to do as well is whilst i might have started it a few years ago you know it is whoever the newest person into the business is has as important a role in being the custodian of the impact we want to create. Love it. Uh, I'd love to cover stuff, and I love the simplistic nature of that name. And and I can tell you firsthand, having worked in FMCG retail for a number of years, it's hard getting a physical product, uh, logistics, operational business up and running. So massive kudos to you for doing that. Can you share the inspiration behind stuff? Like I think, like you alluded to with Man Cave, now a lot of these things are common practice and there's a lot more brands, but they're often brands for a business model and they want to become a juggernaut of a business for dollar's sake at the end of the day, but it sounds like you're doing an impact first. Was there a conversation or a moment that led you to want to create stuff? Yeah, it's, and thanks. It's, it's been insanely difficult. <laughs> it's like people say the product, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm like, you have no idea. I don't know what pump choice that took. To, yeah. with the viscosity of the yeah. ingredients and how it comes out. Um, yeah. yeah, so the idea, the inception came about five years ago. So we've been live for a year, but the inception was five years ago. And, you know, my mate and I had to go to a talk at a, a school around purpose-driven businesses. And we saw that, you know, there were first few through the door were like, thank you, gives a crap, Tom Organic. And we were like, wow, there's nothing for blokes. Like there's really nothing mm-hmm. And we're like, we're surrounded by brands like, you know, Lynx, Old Spice, Dove. And we're like, man, these have not been updated in years either. We just choose them because we chose them once and they seem to work. And, and they're relatively cost effective. Like it's, you know, and that's just a simple choice for us. I'm like, wow, this has not been disrupted in a while. And um, yeah, there was actually like a few false starts over the last five years. We're actually originally going to call it Respect. Um, and then three days before we launched the business name, David Beckham launched the name Respect by David Beckham oh, right. and launched the deodorant brand. And right. the whole, you know, he was actually at Buckingham Palace when the award was there. And people were like, oh, mate, you should just go and chat to him. And like, I, 
And I was like, <laughs> I, I think Bex has probably got a few other things on his priority list than <laughs> chatting to me. But, you know, again, had to go on that whole journey of like questioning identity. And, you know, I remember we signed up for a crowdfunding campaign and like made it to the final competition and we're going to launch it. And we're like, mm, something in our gut was like, we can't do it now. So it's a bailout of that. And then, yeah, I just stayed persistent with the idea and, yeah, just I, there was a deep belief that I knew this had to happen and I was just, you know, really, really um, intentional around just taking people on the journey and so I eventually found a, a group of kind of four core investors who would play the kind of the, the, almost like the pre, pre-seed role mm-hmm. in, in funding the, the business to get that kind of minimal viable product up, the brand, the feeling then we've done two other capital raises since then. Um, and I've really tried to find people who have worked in big brands before um, and use their uh, expertise uh, and channel that into the values business that is stuff. So, yeah, it's been an incredible ride. We've, um, you know, now we've got um, six products. We've got a whole bunch more in the pipeline. We've just pitched to the big retailers, um, pharmacy and grocery retailers over the last week, which is a whole other experience, but the idea is that, you know, it's a, a natural men's personal care brand where um, there's actually, for those, you know, often I don't tell this bit because average the average consumer doesn't really, like probably doesn't really care to be honest, but how we've set it up is a separate business. Man Cave, the charity, is the largest shareholder in it. We don't yeah. often talk about that, but um, that effectively means in, you know, if the business ever gets to a position where it is eligible to be sold, um, there can be a kickback of funds to fund our charity Man Cave that can really accelerate the growth. But we've also got a, a kind of a shorter term mechanism in that that's for every $1,000 in sales, it'll fund a boy to go through uh, a program who couldn't otherwise afford it. And yeah, we've, the team we've built in it have worked, yeah, it's quite extraordinary. They've all worked at very senior roles at ESOP, at Mecca, at Afterpay, at Coca-Cola, Country Road, Swiss, um, Thank You as well. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a challenge, you know. We've we've been D to C. Um, we've had a great first year, but we're building a, a new rocket ship alongside Man Cave. And part of that also has been taking the Man Cave on a journey where people are like, hey, hang on a bit, this isn't core business. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's been kind of educating and mostly through results, to be honest, that what we're doing is building an ecosystem of of diverse, healthy role models so that boys can experience it in their programs they can then log on to twitch after they run their school programs where our facilitators are gaming with them um they continue the journey you know then when they go into their bathrooms or they're on their phones they're surrounded by um, healthy fun engaging male role models i'm excited for your retail journey I, I worked at Coles for three years as a buyer so if I can help in any way I'd love to and I think that's a fascinating industry where people just I, I get a lot of friends ask me they go how hard would it be to get a product on the shelf like it's just a supermarket but as you just mentioned it's a whole beast of its own and yeah and just the operational element of it would be an awesome journey to go on I think so working with the schooling system and now working with the retail sort of more businessy system as you called it would be a fantastic balance and and how, how do you you balance all that like someone listening might go hunter's crazy like you talked earlier about slowing down and, and doing all these things and having a partner how's your role evolved like what is your role now at stuff and man cave on a weekly basis yeah it's it's the biggest challenge in, in high performance i think is how do you manage your energy not your time and you know there were 
uh, definitely not been the uh, <laughs> the chosen saint in doing that well over the years. Um, you know, I, last year when we did our, our recent capital raise for staff, I did it over Zoom, like 50 conversations by myself in a room over lockdown. And, um, it, you know, it had a massive impact on my relationship. Like I just, I didn't have the energy to be present. I was exhausted and it was a, you know, big learning moment for me and inside my relationship with my partner where we were just like, this isn't, I don't want to go down this path. I've learned this lesson. Let's not go this way again. Um, but also it was important for me to, to kind of have that experience because I could understand it probably intellectually, um, but to actually embody those lessons of going, I don't necessarily want to live my life like that. So for me, yeah, continually on the quest of, of balancing my ambition with what's actually important, which is my relationship with myself, my partner, my family, my friends. Um, and yeah, I think part of it's interesting. So my job I see is a founder slash CEO. It, it, it evolves as each respective business evolves. So Man Cave, it's really about um, getting the, the machine of the business up and firing and finding you know, people who are more competent at their job than I am to really own their area and set them up with clarity, you know, trust and growth opportunities. But now I'm in staff, which is a much smaller team of about five or six. It, the role is really around, like I'm, I'm on the ground, I'm on the tools, you know, I'm helping build this thing. So I have to kind of have a bit of range in my own ability there. And But again, what I want us to get to is I find people who can just drive their, their part of the business better than what I can and ultimately, that allows me to work on the movement that is the intersection between both of those businesses. And, um, you know, I, I often just learned, like, often think in terms of exponentials. So what is it that's going to exponentially grow us? And, you know, a great example is getting that, um, building that relationship with Prince Harry. That put us on a global map. That then opened up an opportunity with the UN to um, be, you know, speak at a panel there and, you know, be a part of the He for She campaign, which is, again, another big initiative to opportunities with Movember. Um, for me, it's like building relationships with each of those businesses really genuinely and authentically and then leveraging that into something higher order. And what that means is often getting other people to to step in and, and rally the, the man cave's vision. Um, so, and again, the, the role for the CEO for me at this stage is... Um, get the, the machine up and running and the, 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 the organism probably is a better way to say it where people feel empowered and, and driven and they belong and they, they're trusting and, you know, yeah, I think that's that's the art of what I'm trying to do at the moment. Um, yeah, just enjoying it, enjoying the Yeah, challenge. it sounds like you've reflected on this quite a bit. You've got a, a fair few views on that and it reminds me of something I wrote about recently was increasing your surface area for luck to strike. And I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of that, where you put yourself out there. And it, I'm not saying that what you've done is lucky, but I think you have to put yourself out there and shoot your shot. And it sounds like yeah. early on that was an important role for you and hopefully listeners can take that on. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to underline how important that is. Everything you just said is like just by putting it out into the world, magic unfolds. Like either you go through your own personal journey of hitting your own edges and just feeling the fear and doing it anyway, or other people see it. And it's just amazing how um, the power of, like I literally have written down on my computer right in front of me is slow down and enjoy it. Ask your gut. So make decisions from your intuition and let go. It's all perfect. And I think that, you know, we think about like there's two different ways to hold a pen. Maybe those who aren't 
Uh, watching this won't see it, but I think you can hold a pen by holding it in your fist or you can hold a pen by holding it in your palm facing upwards. And, you know, you're still holding that pen either way. And what I've really noticed, and this is slightly spiritual, is that the more I let go of an expectation about an outcome, the more the universe pro- provides a, a, a reward or that manifests in a really unpredictable way that I was like, shit, I did not see that coming, but we got here. Um, so I think that's been a really big part of this journey too. Super interesting, mate. That's really cool. And I love your self-awareness aspect. I think through this conversation, that's really evident. So time for the final sprint, just some rapid fire questions to close us out. Is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life, non-financial? Um, non-financial. I, like I, I said it before, I, every year I try and invest in a life, a diverse life experience that's off-brand for me and or something that I know was scared the shit out of me. And this can range from, as I, I may have mentioned this mm-hmm. before, but like um, a stand-up comedy course at NIDA. I remember... I rocked up and everyone was like, cool, yeah, let's do like, why is everyone here? And people were like, oh, yeah, you know, people have always said I'm funny, you know, I've got a lot of potential. And I was like, oh, man, everything in my identity says do not be here right now and I'm just going to lean in and do it. And, you know, just talk about failing fast, stand-up comedy course, holy moly, that is a masterclass in being with the power of rejection um, and feeling very vulnerable on stage. Um, So that was massive. Um, there's some incredible global networks as well that I chose to um, invest in a ticket to, to go to Summit Series over in LA, which is extraordinary. Uh, the Nexus Summit over at the UN. Um, I just spoke to someone this morning around doing a, a course with a guy called Jamie Wheel, who's like this insane, insane thinker, philosopher, Um his book, Stealing Fire, is quite extraordinary, actually, which I recommend that. Um, and then, you know, on a simple level, my journal is just my, like, access to my life is, you know, I, I've gone from a whole, like, beginning the journaling journey of going, what am I going to write? It's not perfect. And now it just being my unfiltered thoughts um, where I just unpack things. That's been massive for me too. One thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? Oh, I'd like to learn more about, uh, this is actually probably a bit unexpected, but um, more about intimacy. Um, and I know as a young teenage boy, you know, intimacy was about sex and, um, you know, really about, and not even like conscious sex, but actually more about, I'd like to learn more about, yeah, intimacy and, and um, yeah, just understanding that whole world that I feel is so hidden and it's kind of almost shamed but that's that's a path i'm really interested in exploring uh further and last one is there one person a quote that inspires you oh endless hmm man i'm actually in terms of inspired i'm inspired by a guy called aubrey marcus you may have heard of him before he um Again, can be a little bit divisive for people, but I just have got a lot of value out of him. He run he's run a company called Onnit, which is basically a human optimization company. Um, they sold for a hundred plus million dollars, but he's also you know he's got a great huge podcast as well. And what I like about him is he he, he seems to be very values driven. He's been on his own kind of entrepreneurial path. He's had his own spiritual journey as. as a part of it and is really about trying to make the world a better place and for me i find that really really inspiring in a time where you know we mostly have um pretty confusing male role models in the public eye or people we don't see ourselves in 
So he he is absolutely someone. Um, but I do love a quote as well, just to finish off, um, which I actually got from my partner, which you know resonates with me, which is around um, our bodies. And it's first the body whispers before she screams. And um, that's really listening to you know the intelligence of the body, our intuition, our gut, um, and using that um, and listening to that early on before again it gets to that crisis point. We're like, shit, why was I doing that? Wow, that's a amazing note to end on. Thank you so much for joining me. This I feel like this has been an all access into Hunter Johnson, Man Cave stuff, and and a lot more. So, wish you all the best for the year ahead and keep in touch. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, and appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, also congratulations to you, dude. You're what, 60-odd episodes in. The world needs more positive content right now. And I think what you're doing is really, really important. And yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday. Stay tuned.